Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Good morning. Today is the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it. It is the 23rd of August and it is Friday. You can do whatever sort of like little Friday dance you have. You could be doing your little Friday dance right now. Uh, I know that uh, my producer, Paul Perot, intends to go to the Minnesota State Fair. You betcha. Immediately after the show today. Oh, you betcha. Yeah. So, I know. Are you so excited? Pronto dogs. No, 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 no. Pronto pups. Oh. Mini <laughs> I knew I was going to get it wrong. Pronto it's pups. a corn dog, man. No, it's I don't not know. a corn dog. Right, it's so slightly different. The batter's different. The dog. batter is different. It's no, it's not a corn dog. dog. Okay, I know. Well, that's not going to keep till I get there. So that's all I have to say. Those okay. so those pronto pup people, maybe they need to go nationwide or something. I you okay. Know, so uh, we got. Oh, there you go. Thousands of fires ravaging the Amazon rainforest. I noticed this did not make it into the headline news at the top of the hour. It should be in the headline news everywhere, and yet it is not. And I find that actually kind of to be a great mystery. This is the um, most intense fire season that the Amazon rainforest has uh, seen in more than a decade. Uh, And so you're saying to yourself, gosh, isn't the Amazon big? Does it matter that there are a few fires? Um. The fires in the Amazon this year are so big. Uh, first of all, there was a record number of them. Some, let me let me see what the latest count is. It's more than 2,500 individual blazes. Some of them are enormous, uh, active across the Brazilian Amazon forest. So, uh, so massive, maybe is the word, are these fires that the the Amazon rainforest, which, by the way, uh, is responsible for the production of 20 percent of the oxygen that the world breathes. So it's important. I mean, some are describing it this way. Our lungs are on fire and nobody seems to care. Um, and so the Amazon rainforest is on fire. First of all, you say, how is a rainforest on fire? That is a whole nother conversation. Why is there such severe drought in a part of the world that's supposed to be squishy with water? Uh, and then it, the the fires are so massive and so bad, it actually blocked out the sun in San Paulo, Brazil, uh, the the smoke was so thick and so dense and so dark, it literally blocked out the sun two days ago in the city of San Paulo. So now we're talking about uh, air quality across uh, one of the largest countries in the world, uh, and we are talking about the lungs of the world, the Amazon rainforest, um, burning at here's, – here's a statistic you can get your, your head and heart around. It is burning at a rate of a football field per minute. And we're not talking about, you know, like a light singe. We're talking about burned to the ground. Every piece of vegetation, every living creature, uh, the water that might be there, uh, just it's, it's, it's an incineration mess right now. And so certainly pray for rain. That would be like a top of my list because that is something that um, would, uh, first of all, God can do immediately and would alleviate um, some of these uh, concerns not going to it's not going to eliminate the long term concerns of logging and farming that is taking place and the deforestation uh, of of the Amazon. Um, 
by those who, you know, frankly, are kind of respecters of, of nothing, including the indigenous people who live there. So um, I might be biased on this. Uh, I have read up on it. If you have not, please get read in on this subject. Be paying attention. Uh, these are, are not only our southern neighbors in Brazil. This is uh, this is a, a global concern because like trees produce oxygen. We talked about this with Matthew Sleeth. I don't know if you remember that reforesting faith. We've had him on a couple of times. Go back and grab those podcasts. Um, at MyFaithRadio.com, uh, my conversations with Matthew Sleeth about the need for us to be planting more trees. And the planting more trees, a billion of them, by the way, uh, pretty quickly in order to offset the change in the carbon levels in our um, in our air. So there, there you go. We're, we, are, we are talking about all of those things. And yet this morning we're going to talk about immigration. So Matthew Hawkins is up next. He is a public theologian. He and I are going to talk about a law going into effect in Missouri this next week related to life and the protection of the preborn. And then we're also going to talk about the changes to U.S. immigration policy that took effect this week and what it means for those seeking asylum here in the United States. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Matthew Hawkins is back in the house. He's a public theologian. You can uh, check out what he is doing at, uh-oh, I didn't pull it up. Does it have a T in the middle? Is it just Matthew, Matthew Hawkins? Hawkins? Yes, Matthew, Matthew T. T. Hawkins. Hawkins. We've never asked, what does the T stand for? Timothy. All right, excellent. You have a very biblical name. I like it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Are you like Are you like my Matthew, who every time we make a reference to the Gospel of Matthew, you're like, hey, that's me. Like, does that, do, I, does every Matthew have I, that kind of response? There is. Yeah, there was a period in my life when that was the case when I was young. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Probably, probably We're still in that. that. We're still in that stage here. <laughs> okay. So um, Matt Hawkins, uh, you can also follow him on, on Twitter at MT Hawk. Um, tell us about this law going into effect in the state of Missouri in relationship yeah. to the protection of the preborn. Sure. So Missourians had passed and uh, it goes into effect, I guess, next week, um, a law limiting abortion uh, to it's basically a heartbeat bill. Um, it limits uh, abortion at earliest stages of uh, the detection of life. Uh, and uh, it does a number of other things. And of course, uh, Planned Parenthood is freaking out. I think right now there's only one Planned Parenthood abortion facility in the state uh, that's likely soon to uh, shutter. Uh, there are still, uh, you know, limited ways, uh, reasons for uh, an abortion to happen, namely in the case of an, a medical emergency. Um, but uh, this is looks to be good news for the pro-life movement. Um, but I want to point out a couple things. Uh, uh, Pro-abortionists and pro-choice people are freaking out that the laws can supposedly lead to uh, mothers who induce or perform their own abortion uh, to be charged with a felony and prosecuted and this kind of thing. Um, well, there is a, there is um, a punishment for uh, doctors who perform an abortion, um, and uh, they will be charged with a, a, like a Class B felony for what that means in Missouri. Um, and, but the punishment is that they will lose their medical license. Um, and so, uh, it, the next, the next very next sentence says mothers, uh, on which, on whom abortions are performed will not be prosecuted. 
so I think uh, you know the governor and his team and their legal analysis. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna air with them compared to other people who are kind of freaking out and saying what the law doesn't doesn't really say. Uh, Secondly, um, they are moving their state to be someone, uh, a state that really cares for mothers and, and, and families. And uh, they do that in the same bill by doing a couple things, increasing the tax credit uh, for contributions to pregnancy resource centers. You can claim, uh, beginning in 2021, 70% uh, instead of 50% of your contributions to a pregnancy resource center. So you're in, they're incentivizing uh, donations to pregnancy care centers. And also removing the cap that, uh, the cap on that credit that taxpayers can claim. So, right? so they're financially, fiscally incentivizing people to contribute to medically qualified um, pregnancy resource centers. Uh, they're declaring their state a sanctuary of life, right? Uh, that's a really good news. And it also d- prohibits uh, dis- abortion or discrimination, uh, prohibits discrimination through abortion, which means if you get a prenatal test and it's diagnosed with, uh, your child is diagnosed with uh, Down syndrome, uh, or you don't like the race of the child, or you don't like the sex of the child, you can't abort humans uh, because they are, say, girls uh, or have a disability. Um, so this is moves in the right direction, um, and folks are going to freak out um, who are uh, pro-abortion. But uh, this just continues the wave of, uh, of these heartbeat bills uh, that are aimed to probably in the in the long term challenge Roe versus Wade in the Supreme Court. So I have a uh, like zero degrees of um, uh, of separation conversation to have with you. I'm pretty sure that when you were in D.C. Um, that you and Eric Tietzel would have sort of intersected with each other frequently. Am I right? Actually, his name's no. Wrong? We, okay, so yeah, Eric I know, Tietzel. I, I know so, Eric, but he okay, and I so, actually missed each other. All right, so you would really like each other. So just like in terms of like friends you, you should pursue across the country, Eric we, now we works. Of, yeah, I know. So this is a Missouri-relevant conversation. So, um, okay. so Eric now works for Senator Hawley, Josh, Josh Hawley. And so we've right. had... Um, uh, Josh Hawley's wife on Aaron, uh, she, she wrote a really great book. And so we had her on back in, I think like November, but, um, Eric, I met through Chuck Colson, um, and it was related to the Manhattan declaration. So this now goes back 10 years. And then, you know, and so Eric is my, like now, like my Missouri source because he is now a special assistant to the Senator. And, um, So uh, so I just want to lift that up because there's some people out there who it's like, OK, if Matthew Hawkins and Eric Tietzel do not know each other, like those two guys should totally know each other. So there you go. That's my attempt to. <laughs> I appreciate uh, it. We, uh, what, we I'm brokering we know a friendship. Other, we, we, we know each other uh, and I think probably follow each other on social media. And we have lots of mutual friends, including Andrew Walker, who, you know, yes. uh, but we, oh, who is now we, my cross think, country coach at my Franklin classical school. Oh, I know cool. it's crazy. I know. Okay. That's probably that's way too uh, local information. We got to take a break. <laughs> you and I can talk during the break about all of our local right. concerns. We'll be right back. Okay, my very serious friend, Matthew T. Hawkins, who you can find at MatthewTHawkins.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at MTHawk. He and I are going to uh, get out of our overly self-referential conversation and return to immigration policy. So this week, um, the Trump administration said it's going to take steps that would allow what I would describe as to indefinitely detain 
uh, children yeah. and their families um, while their immigration cases are pending. And sometimes those cases pend for a long time. So long time. tell us what yeah. these uh, what these changes mean and tell us what what the relationship is to something called the Flores decision. Yeah. So the Flores decision or the Flores settlement, as some people call it, uh, is basically a 97 1997 Supreme Court ruling that governs how long the federal government can keep uh, families, and sp- particularly children, uh, in custody. Um, and uh, basically, the, so there are limits on how long you can t- keep people in detention during their asylum hearings. And uh, this, the Trump administration, through, the Department, the, through Homeland Security and Health and Human Services, are going to issue a new rule today uh, that basically tries to uh, extend that time period indefinitely. Um, these kinds of issues are really complex, uh, especially uh, the, the international rules on um, on hearings, immigration hearings, are such that uh, if someone comes over, um, it's one thing if, if someone comes from Mexico and they're a Mexican citizen uh, and they're turned away at the border or they come across, like they can U.S. can basically deport them straight to Mexico, I believe. Uh, but if they come from a non-border state, uh, Central America, South America, uh, they it triggers an automatic uh, immigrations process that the U.S. has to conduct. Um, that means what do you do with folks who are in that legal process? Um, and uh, look, uh, with, uh, with the number of people who uh, were coming across the border recently, uh, it puts a strain on on federal resources that they're just not established and, and prepared for. Uh, and these hearings take a long time. And guess what? When you have more hearings, they take longer. Uh, so this is it's hard to decipher uh, how much of this is actually necessary for the sake of just capacity building uh, versus how much of this is rooted in what we've clearly seen from the administration, which tends to be uh, very anti-immigrant and even, even especially more lately, uh, bold enough to be anti-refugee, which in my view is pretty absurd. Let's remind people of some of those definitions, because refugees and asylum mm-hmm. seekers and uh, and folks who just want to immigrate for other reasons to the United States right. are actually three d- distinctly right. different exactly. groups of people um, with different uh, you know, technical legal definitions. So a refugee right. is very different than an asylum seeker, is very different than a person right. who simply wants to immigrate to the United States, let's say for economic reasons. Right, exactly. Uh, so particularly a refugee is someone who has uh, been forced to cross an international border. So to be a refugee, uh, you have to cross an international border. It, could, it gets complex when you've been forced from your home, but you haven't, uh, in, like, For example, in Nigeria, we have the highest level of what they call IDPs, internally displaced persons. So it's in the same spirit that uh, these people have been forced through their homes. But unless you cross an international border, uh, you're not legally considered a refugee. Um, And then asylees basically are people who... um, And then also refugee is also someone who uh, uh, goes somewhere to claim refugee status first. Um, and then, and the, particularly because the U.S., with the exception of Canada and Mexico, uh, you can't just cross the border. Uh, right. We don't US. border anything else. Right. Right. We don't border anything else. Like it's a different situation in Europe where all the countries are kind of mashed together and jumbled together um, and migrants come across and, you know, you hit a refugee camp. Um, refugees who resettle in the U.S. typically 
specifically, the bulk of them have been processed through a refugee center uh, run by the United Nations and go through a very long process. It's a refugee coming to the U.S. through that process is the most screened immigrant of anybody uh, coming coming into the country. An asylee is someone who gets here first without ha- first having uh, basically you get here and then you file your paperwork for I mean kind of a broad generalization. Uh, so you might be an asylee for um, same reasons, pub- uh, political persecution, religious persecution. Uh, you just got here in a different order um, than, than a refugee did. Uh, and so you're basically here already while your your asylee status is, is uh, concerned. Um, you know, we, this is kind of the, kind of the paradox of of America, right? We're a nation of immigrants and we have periodic or cyclical bouts of anti-immigration. Um, and I think we need to take a step back and look at what's currently happening on the Southern border first as kind of an international crisis, really. I mean, you've got masses of people coming up from central South and Central America, uh, and landing at our border, whatever you like, if it, if this happened in Africa, if this happened in Europe, we would tip it. We would probably call it. We would recognize it a little more easily than what it is. But because immigration, and particularly immigration across the some, you know, illegal immigration across the southern border, is such a uh, hot topic and a politically polarized issue in the country, we're not. I don't think we're seeing this particular moment for what it really is. And so you have a situation where the federal government's detaining people and wants to do it indefinitely. Um, you know, in some so, cases that might be necessary, but I'm really skeptical. So it occurs to me, Matt, that um, Americans tend to think we can go anywhere in the world whenever we want to for any reason we want uh-huh. to and stay as long yeah. as we want and do whatever we want and say whatever we want about those countries. Um, I mean, yeah. I'm thinking here about a couple of congresswomen in relationship to Israel. Like, we think we can go where we want, when we want to go, and do what we want to do, and say, right. but we do not treat other people who want to come to America in the same way. And so I, I think exactly. that's a little bit of what you're saying. Like, we do not see our own immigration crisis in the same way that we see other countries' unwillingness to, um, or hesitancy, or challenges related to people flowing into their countries. Uh, and so, we, you know, we think we can tell Central American countries to close their southern borders or to be a place where um, asylees right. have to stay, like, right? Like, right. that's part of this conversation. We're trying to dictate to other countries what they must do right. Um, yeah, exactly. in order to keep people from arriving at our southern border. So it's a challenge. It's not going away. We will keep yeah. talking about it. We need comprehensive immigration reform. I will keep saying that. And we will keep talking yes. about it uh, here on the program. If folks want more information, you can go to worldrelief.org. Yep. They've got an excellent piece posted today on this topic, uh, worldrelief.org. You can find Matt Hawkins at MatthewTHawkins.com and on Twitter at MTHawk. Thanks, my friend. Thank you. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. All right, friends, we've got to take a quick ball. break. Thank you. So there is a T-shirt case going before the Kentucky Supreme Court. We heard about that in the news at the top of the hour. Uh, and what is at issue there is a, a shirt printing company um, that does not refuse service to anyone, but reserves the right to not print just anything on a shirt, particularly if they find it 
um, offensive to their religious sensibilities. <clears throat> That's a religious liberty case. Uh, and at the forefront of that are attorneys from an organization called ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom. Next up, I actually have an ADF attorney, Kate Anderson, who's going to be with us talking about a case in Anchorage, Alaska. This case is actually primed to go to the U.S. Supreme Court on October the 8th. It at issue here um, is a soup kitchen and a homeless shelter for women, specifically in terms of the uh, of the overnight accommodations that is being uh, forced to accommodate biological men. All right, that is uh, a conversation we need to have. So next up, Kate Anderson from the Alliance Defending Freedom. We'll be right back. So uh, fall share is coming up. Uh, fall share is a time when we at Faith Radio share with you the good news stories that people share with us, and then we invite you to become a part of um, the Faith Radio, not only listening family, which obviously you're already a part of, but the giving family as well. The way that we here at Faith Radio um, air the programs that we air every day, the way that Paul and I get paid, like, right, this is how this works, is that we have a listening community that then actually supports the programming through tax-deductible financial contributions to this ministry. And so you can jump on and share now. You don't actually have to wait until the week of fall share. Um, you can share now. You can go to MyFaithRadio.com and hit the Donate Now button. You can, on your Faith Radio app, if that's how you're listening, on your Connect device, there should be uh, a Donate button on there as well. And you can always just call us, 877-933-2484, and give that way. So just like you, our, um, our needs are ongoing. I mean, I don't know about you, but like I buy groceries every week. I pay the power bill every month. Uh, and you expect us to be here for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, which means we have ongoing financial needs. So if you wanted to become one of those ongoing financial partners, that is a really terrific, great way to participate in in share and to participate in the ongoing life of this ministry. So you can become an ongoing uh, partner by giving, you know, like regularly. And so, you know, whatever level of giving that is for you is most welcome, and whatever's right for you is the right level. Maybe you can give $5 a month. Maybe you can give $100 a month. Um, whatever's the right giving level for you to help us continue doing what we're doing every single day, you are our partners in this ministry, and we rely on you to share with us in order that we can continue to share the good news of the gospel with the world. We'll be right back. I wish there was a simple solution for greed and materialism. If only I could flip a switch, no one in the world would feel the need for more. Hi, this is Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. We all know there isn't a switch to turn off greed. It's a deep-seated flaw. But there is something you can do to remedy it. Live generously. When you give your time, talent, and treasure to others, it turns the tide on greed. Suddenly, you're not focused on what you want, you're focusing on what someone else needs. Even better, you get to decide how you give. It could be spending time with an elderly person who lives alone or donating to a charity you believe in. Maybe it's sharing a special talent you have, like cooking or playing the piano. These gestures are always to bless someone else. So the next time you're feeling greed rear its ugly head, ask God for help and think about a way you can help someone else. It could end up being your switch to turn off the greed. Somebody needs a lot to have. 
So joining me today is Kate Anderson. She is an attorney working with Alliance Defending Freedom on a particular case um, on a uh, what's called the Downtown Hope Center in the municipality of Anchorage, Alaska. Kate, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for having me on the show. So when we think of um, when we think of soup kitchens, when we think of relief organizations in our cities and in our communities that are literally on the front lines of alleviating the needs of the least of these, our brothers and sisters, um, we don't often think of religious liberty concerns and claims. We we think of it as a place where um, you know the church is really doing her best to um, to serve people. Tell us what happened at the downtown uh, soup kitchen, which we're going to call here the Downtown Hope Center um, in Anchorage, Alaska, and why they need an attorney, an attorney like you. Well, the Hope Center is a religious nonprofit that serves the homeless and working poor in Anchorage. They serve men and women during the day, uh, serving up to 600 cups of soup every day, as well as providing laundry services, shower services, job skills training, clothing to people in need. Um, They also have started a couple of years ago a women's shelter that they have in the evening, um, and they open up their big room to women to come and sleep on mats about three feet from each other. And these are women in their community who have experienced some horrible abuse, sex trafficking, rape, domestic violence, and other abuse. So they really need to have a place where they can be safe just with other women. Uh, But the city of Anchorage has told the Hope Center that if a man comes to the Hope Center and self-identifies as a woman, the Hope Center needs to let that person in to sleep next to these women, even though it will have significant consequences. And that's why we got involved in the case. So I think, I mean, I I think that the big question that listeners are going to be asking right now is, can the government do that? Can the government force a women's homeless shelter to house a biological man alongside women, most of whom who, you know, are victims of rape or sexual abuse or domestic violence, um, force force them to do that in a shared overnight sleeping facility? Can they do that? Can the government do that? Well, we think not. Um, And certainly it doesn't make sense in this situation. You have women who have suffered significant abuse and need this kind of a safe place. Um, Many other shelters, uh, there are many other shelters in Anchorage, all of which can house both men and women. uh, But this is the only place for these women to come. And this started uh, because a man who identifies as a woman came to the Hope Center in a pink nightgown and wanted to be admitted. He was intoxicated. It's a dry shelter. um, And he was injured. He had a large gash over his eye. And so the executive director prayed with him, talked with him, and paid for his taxi to get to the hospital to get the care that he needed. Um, But this triggered Anchorage to start coming after the Hope Center um, and trying to force them under a change in the law in Anchorage to add gender identity to their non-discrimination law to say that the Hope Center needed to let these men in, even though um, it's going to have significant consequences for these women. So I think that this conversation about the definition of uh, biological sex versus gender identity, um, this is a conversation that obviously the U.S. Supreme Court is going to have to weigh in on in terms of not only circumstances like this, but, you know, other other situations across the country, maybe related to employers or related to uh, Christian colleges and universities. This is a conversation that you guys at the Alliance Defending Freedom are having in, in sort of several arenas um, and, you know, as 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 a senior counsel 
um, for for the ADF. I guess I'm wondering if you can kind of help people understand, because um, this really feels like pressure across lots of parts of our society. It's not just confined to one area. Yes, and the Supreme Court actually is going to take up this issue in the employment context. There's an argument set um, on October 8th where the Supreme Court's going to take up this issue of adding gender identity to the idea of sex in the law and all the consequences that could come from that. Um, but when you're dealing with nonprofits like the Hope Center, all Americans should be free to be able to serve the people in their community and not have to be afraid that their government's going to force them to violate their beliefs. And we're talking about a religious nonprofit here um, that believes um, there are certain things about the nature of men and women um, and wants to uphold that and wants to uphold the dignity and safety of these particular women. Um, so there are widespread consequences to this kind of conversation. You know, it, it makes me curious, Kate, and I'm not really expecting you as an attorney to answer this question, but it makes me curious to wonder, um, people who are advocating for groups like this to be forced to house biological men, um, it, it makes me wonder who they think is going to do this for the community, because obviously Christians are not going to continue to even operate these kinds of shelters um, and provide these kinds of ministries if we're forced to do so in absolute violation of our conscience related to our understanding of of what is a man and what is a woman. So um, why don't you and I take a quick break, and when we come back, you can unpack um, some some of the other key points and key facts for folks. And then, uh, you know, I definitely want you to be able to get to the bottom line of the conversation, and, and I suspect that's related not only to privacy and safety, but also just the dignity of these women uh, who the Hope Center is serving. So I am talking with Kate Anderson. She is Senior Counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom. We are talking about the Hope Center case in Anchorage, Alaska, but we're also talking about you as a Christian in whatever community you are in in America um, and the preservation of your rights to uh, to alleviate the suffering of our neighbors um, within the context of what we understand to be uh, God's design uh, as men and women. So that's the conversation we're continuing here on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation now with Kate Anderson. She is Senior Counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom, and we are talking about the Hope Center case out of Anchorage, Alaska, um, Kate, let's uh, let's kind of just walk through the key points of this. You know, maybe we'll just do a little back and forth. Does the Hope Center serve everyone? Yes, they serve both men and women during the day with their um, clothing, laundry, um, shower services, job skills training, and certainly the soup kitchen serves everyone. At night, they um, have a women's only shelter, and that's because of the population that they serve. It's women who have been sex trafficked and abused and need that kind of a safe place. Which seems completely reasonable to me. And would you say that the Hope Center has a duty to protect women who come seeking safe shelter overnight, um, has a duty to protect them from men who yes. have victimized them. Yes, I think we all do. There are people in our society that have suffered horrible, horrible things. And as a society, we want to protect them and give them an opportunity to heal. And that's what the Hope Center sees happen when they provide a woman with a safe place to sleep with privacy. They see transformation in her life. Um, and they're seeing success stories every day where women are able to find employment, find their own housing because they were able to get that safe place at the Hope Center. 
what kind of encouragement would you give to you know listeners right now and they're thinking to themselves wow my my church has a you know has an overnight sleeping thing for uh for homeless folks or my church has an outreach to um you know to women who have been victimized in our community or my church has an outreach to women who've been formerly trafficked like those kinds of things what what kinds of conversations should leadership in churches be having in terms of safeguarding themselves as you see this unfolding, uh, you know, in terms of the litigious nature of uh, what I'll just describe as LGBTQ activists today? Well, I'm very encouraged to see so many churches around the country get involved in these kinds of issues uh, to protect people who are dealing with poverty, with homelessness. Uh, It's such an important need in our community. Um, And I do want to encourage people that the Constitution protects the right of religious organizations to operate according to their beliefs. Um, No one should be afraid that they're going to be forced to violate their beliefs when they want to serve their fellow man. Um, And so I'd encourage those churches to continue the good work that they're doing to, um, they can always reach out to Alliance Defending Freedom if they have questions about um, certain laws or how to handle things. Um, But the Constitution does protect us, and it's important that we continue this good work. So I'm wondering if you could roll back the clock, Kate, and you could talk to citizens of Anchorage prior to um, their city council passing this ordinance in 2015. If you could roll back the clock and you could have a conversation with the citizens of Anchorage, um, what might you say to them as they as they go into such a meeting where their city or their local community um, is considering this kind of ordinance? What, what would you say? Well, I would say that everybody needs to be treated with dignity and respect. Um, Everyone needs to be protected under the law. But what the city passed uh, has a lot of complications. And cities that are considering these kinds of laws need to think about how this is going to play out for the citizens in their community, places like the Hope Center, other religious nonprofits that are going to be really prevented from doing the work that they're doing. Um, We need to consider the privacy and the safety, particularly of women, their equal opportunities, and how these laws will play out, um, both in the religious community and with women generally. So um, folks can actually just Google something as simple as cities considering SOGI ordinances. That would be sexual orientation, gender identity. There's all kinds of monitoring um, that's going on across the country. Unfortunately, most of it is sort of like after the fact, like cities that actually do provide this already. Um, But there are some, um, I'll call them watchdog, you know, like people that are helping us understand what's happening across the country. Uh, And so if you don't know if your city has this kind of ordinance, now's the time to find out. It's also important for each one of us to be engaged uh, and be knowledgeable citizens, knowing what is coming up in terms of the conversations that our local communities are having. This is being pressed out there, um, you know, in a pretty aggressive agenda in communities across the country. And so I would certainly expect that wherever you live, your community is having these conversations. The question is whether or not you are actively engaged in those conversations. So, Kate, what's next um, for Hope Center? What sort of what is the next part of this conversation related to their case? Well, uh, last week we uh, won a wonderful order from the court that allows the uh, Hope Center to continue the good work that they're doing while the case continues. So the case is not over. Trial is set in April. Um, But between now and then and over this very, very cold winter that will be coming in Anchorage, um, we know that the women will be protected at the Hope Center.
And are there, you know, we love to pray specifically um, for individuals, uh, at, you know, at the center of these things. Obviously, we'll be praying for you as you are uh, as you are standing alongside them, is there, you know, is there an individual uh, that for whom we can pray, even as we're praying more generally for the Hope Center itself? I would say that it would be wonderful if people can pray for the women that are there. Um, Absolutely, I don't have individual names, but the women no, no, there that's, yeah. are dealing with dealing with much. And so um, I know that the executive director at the Hope Center, um, their board, everyone there would want the prayers to be for the women that they're serving. Yeah, that's a great way to frame it. Let's fra- let's pray for the executive director. Let's pray for the board, and let's pray for the women at the center of this. And um, and Kate and I are going to appeal to to everybody to continue to pray for um, law enforcement who they don't quite know what to do with folks like this individual who they picked up, and they need they need this confused individual who is obviously uh, in conflict with his own gender. They need a place for him to go as well, and so. The um, the needs uh, the needs are many and the concerns are great. We want to thank you, Kate Anderson, for what you are doing in this case, for what you do at Alliance Defending Freedom. Um, and thank you for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for having me. All right, friends, we'll be right back. So uh, periodically, listeners communicate something on our text line at 877-933-2484 that um, is is like a question that I suspect more than one person is asking. And so this is a question that came in yesterday, and it is about sort of how I do what I do in terms of curating the news, um, knowing about, you know, what I try to know about each and every day in order to be able to do what we do here on the show. And so um, the question was uh, specifically about like what news sources do I turn to or what do I read or, um, you know, just in terms of like aggregation of stuff that's out there. So um, uh, so let me just say this. There are some uh, some things that I do at four in the morning that you're probably not going to get up and do at four in the morning. But my my people that I turn to most often not only first thing in the morning um, in preparation for the show, but also um, periodically throughout the day. There's a website called Axios, and uh, you can sign up on any of these websites for them to actually uh, send you emails like of an uh, of an aggregated list of things. So every day I get what's called Mike's Top 10 from Axios AM. Now, there are other Axios aggregated uh, or curated um, uh, emails throughout the day. You could get the Axios PM. I mean, like, there's a bunch of them. Or you could get one that's just about science, if that's your thing. So Axios AM, Mike's Top 10, um, is, first of all, put together in a way that is as nonpartisan as I think is possible in the news today. Uh, I'm not saying that they don't turn to partisan sources, because they do, because that's sort of how you have to do this. But they do a great job um, hitting the top-line news of the day. And doing so in a way that is as nonpartisan as I think uh, anybody out there. Now, I still have to apply the mind of Christ to that. They're not Christian. Well, they're not trying to be expressly Christian in terms of their approach. And so I think that's important for you to remember. Whatever sort of curated source you're going to, um, you then still are responsible to be the one who applies the mind of Christ to those stories. You are still the one who is responsible to synthesize that information with your faith in order that you can uh, enter into those headline news conversations of the day 
in ways that bring the mind of Christ to bear and in ways that honor Jesus. Okay, so a shout out to Axios, a little shout out to something called STAT. If you um, if you are particularly interested in medical and scientific news, STAT Morning Rounds is a good email roundup. I always think that Faithwire and LifeSite are good sites to turn to for uh, for aggregated news on faith topics and life-related topics. And then, obviously, we talk with um, Nick Pitts here um, on Mondays, and he does something called TheBriefing.net, and that is a daily first thing in the morning uh, list of the big headline news, and then he actually brings the mind of Christ to bear. He also brings some, like, cultural tidbits. He's a music guy, so he also puts some uh, some music tidbits in there as well. So that's called TheBriefing.net. There you go. That's my... Um, for the people who are like wondering, you know, how does how does she get up to speed on all of this and do what she does? Well, first of all, she saturates her life with the word of God, right? I am soaking in the word. Word first, news second, word first, phone second, word first. Like so where in the word are you today? That's going to be the first question because if you're not in the word, you cannot bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters in the world, all right? Word before world. Word first. Um and then, yes, turn your attention to uh, what's in the headline news of the day and bring the mind of Christ, bring the word of God to bear on those things. That doesn't mean we, you know, we're like barking out Bible verses all the time. It does mean that when we are squeezed, what comes out of us is the truth and grace of Jesus Christ and the very word of God. All right, friends, we got a whole nother hour up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.